Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, February 17th, and today we're going to talk about 13 Fs. And Chris, why don't I set the stage a little bit? Uh, a 13F is a report that comes out once a quarter, and major funds and investors, Warren Buffett, George Soros, David Tepper, major mutual funds, they need to report uh, what they own. And today and yesterday, 13Fs were coming out, and the biggest headlines I saw was uh, Warren Buffett and David Tepper buying Kinder Morgan, which we've talked about before, David Einhorn and Carl Icahn selling down their Apple stakes, and a ton of different hedge funds bought Allergan, which I, I don't know if we've talked on the podcast before or not, but it's getting bought out by Pfizer, and it's very popular as kind of a spread play. Uh, so Chris... Why don't we talk a little bit about 13Fs and how you use and don't use them? I think the most important thing when you are not analyzing underlying data, but analyzing other people's analysis, Mm -hmm. is to make sure you fully formed your own thoughts and you have your own mindset based on your own information. And then late, uh, I think think that... uh, um, uh, comparing ideas is kind of like rounding. You should do it once and you should do it late in the process. Mm-hmm. You can get goofy if you do it early or if you do it too much. Uh, but um, but it's worth uh, looking at what other people are doing. Sometimes you agree, sometimes you disagree, but you know your own mind before you look. Yep. So the how to use is as a starting point for research. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this investor who I respect, whose mm-hmm. style I understand and like, he bought this stock. It could be something interesting. And in general, you don't want it, you actually don't want it to be a Warren Buffett or a David Tepper because when they buy a stock, it goes up reflexively. Yep. And you don't really want to be buying a stock up 10% because someone else invested in it. So it's used as a starting point for research, not as the decision to buy or sell. And there are a couple of issues with, as we'll call it, piggybacking on a 13F. And why don't you uh, start with some of the issues on why you shouldn't do that? Uh, well, sometimes an individual position is part of a more complex trade, and you're only seeing part of it, but mm-hmm. not other parts. Uh, uh, is one 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 issue with it? So, a, a very simple example is shorts don't get shorts and hedges don't get picked up in a 13F. So sometimes you might go long a hundred shares of something because you're short a thousand shares mm-hmm. for tax reasons. You might go long, so it wouldn't pick up that you were actually short the stock, and then doesn't pick up if you've hedged it it doesn't really pick up options very well so it can be very misleading to say Mm -hmm. oh this guy has bought it in reality he might actually be short the stock or it might be part of a more complex transaction Uh, secondly there's a delay a a delay exactly so uh 13fs we're seeing now are from 12 31 2015 so they're kind of 45 days old uh we don't know if the person is even still long the stock or anything and uh it kind of contradicts with an insider trade, you will see within a day or two, they'll have to file a Form 4. So last week, famously, uh, Jamie Dimon bought $26 million worth of J.P. Morgan, and you found out pretty much within 24 or 48 hours. When it comes to a 13F, you don't find out for 45 days. The person could have blown out the position by mm-hmm. now. All right, so that's another issue. Uh, 13Fs aren't re- real-time buying like insider uh, purchases. And what's kind of the last and biggest issue? Headlines can be misleading. In the case of uh, Berkshire Hathaway and their recent purchase of KMI, it's reasonable 
uh, to believe that it was not, in fact, a Warren Buffett position, but it was a Todd Combs or a Ted Wessler position. Exactly. So it, the purchase of Kinder Morgan was about $450 million, and Warren Buffett generally deals with purchases that are multi-billion dollars in the stock portfolio. Uh, and $450 million is right in kind of his lieutenant's uh, wheelhouse. So when you see something that says Kinder Morgan was up 10% because Warren Buffett bought it, it's actually because someone Warren Buffett really respected bought it, but it shouldn't really have been him. Uh, so we've talked about 13Fs a little. I want to move on to the importance of not picking back in on other people's work and kind of doing your own work. So you're at a party or you're watching a kind of famous investor conference and you see an investor come up and pump, hey, this stock is the next great thing. Why shouldn't you just go out and buy a stock based on that? Well, uh, I, I say that I like uh, value investors, but I love price-insensitive counterparties. Sometimes these guys are creating a price-insensitive counterparty. Uh, you know, in one of the other uh, cases that was just uh, put out in Appaloosa Management, uh, their uh, uh, fund has uh, a portfolio manager that's been on CNBC a number of times over the last several months. And interestingly, when you look at their filings that came out, every time that they've been uh, bullish on uh, TV, uh, they subsequently and immediately reduced exposure pretty dramatically. And then most recently, bearish, they increased their long exposure by 75%, including incidentally KMI as yeah. well. So generally when someone is talking something on uh, on anything, they are fully sized. So they're mm-hmm. saying, oh, go buy the stock. Well, they've already bought it. They're hoping you go buy it because you know, it's not a pump and dump where they're just going to turn around and sell it to you, but they're fully sized. You buying it and pushing the price up is generally pretty good for their portfolio, their paycheck, their ego, all that sort of stuff. Uh, So there's the cheerleading to get something higher aspect. No one ever gives you their best idea. They give you what they've already purchased. But I think a bigger issue can be what we'll call bag holder activism. Mm -hmm. And why don't you talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, if you are not already involved in the situation uh, and you're listening to somebody who might have had an oversized position, it might be illiquidly large, it might be at a price point way beneath their cost basis that affects their mentality and might affect how strong their hands are. You could be dealing with somebody who is uh, dealing with redemptions or even liquidation Mm -hmm. and their situation is not yours. And they're usually enthusiastic about the prospect of you're going joint and several in their situation when they have an awful situation. But that's not something that you should necessarily be as enthusiastic about accepting. Yeah, it's almost an ego thing. Like, oh, I'm down 50% on this, but if I can convince someone else to buy it now and take the ride with me, like it, it kind of lessens the hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think classic examples are, you know, a fund goes out, they love a stock, they buy 20% of the company at $30 per share. And then the shares trade down to $4 and all of a sudden the fund where, you know, a year ago they were extolling the virtues of the industry and the management team and everything. Now the management team's the worst management team that's ever lived. They want to fire everyone. They want to do something. And the history of this kind of activism just because you're way down is just horrible and it doesn't really work out well for anyone who tacks on to that. Maybe their idea is good, maybe it's bad, but in and out of the financial world, whether or not we're dealing with stocks, when you're just trying to be a good decision maker, you always have to watch that inventory bias uh, in favor of what you already happen to have. If somebody else has that, it's something you need to be guarded against. Yeah. Uh, all right. So 
we've talked about a little bit about what 13ZFs are, how not to use them. Another issue I'll say with piggybacking is if you buy something just because someone else bought it and then it's down and they sell, there's huge mental hurdles with do you sell because they sold? Like how is the thesis played out? But let's talk about some ways you can you can use 13Fs as a starting point for research, but I think there's another more interesting way to think about 13Fs. And why don't you dive into that? Well, one of the things you have to really think about is these large funds, what kind of themes, what categories are they very exposed to? The two that I would mention that I was very sensitive to in 2008, and it's worth being very sensitive Mm -hmm. to in 2016, is merger arbitrage and some of the parts type parent sub stubs. Uh, Two trades. I'm interested, we do the work, but we're very, very wary about the exposure. Even if they seem like pretty good ideas, they could go from pretty good to fantastic on their way to much, much lower prices uh, if there are big hedge fund drawdowns or liquidations. So let's just define this real quick. Merger arbitrage, we talk about it all the time. Company A buying company B for $10 a share, you buy companies B shares Mm -hmm. looking to get taken out for $10. Uh, parent stu- parent uh, sub stubs is something like EMC owns 80% of VMware. So you go long EMC and short out the VMware exposure. Yep. Or you could go long VMware and short out EMC if you thought EMC was too expensive and right. VMware was too cheap. You, either yeah. way, you get exposure on the stub equity. And in a big company, it's a pretty liquid, fairly popular hedge fund strategy. It's the kind of thing I would look at. But boy, in 2008, there were a couple of these that ultimately ended up being some of my favorite equity investments ever. But on the way down, they went right through being good to great to fabulous to crazy. And people could lose a lot of money in the process. So I know one of our favorites we've talked about from 2008 is Liberty, Mm -hmm. which owned, uh, let's call it $20 worth of a bunch of different stocks. Mm -hmm. And the stock was at 25 a bunch of hedge funds got hit with liquidation and all of a sudden the stocks that Liberty owned went from 20 to 15, yep. but Liberty went from 25 to 10. Yeah. So you could buy Liberty and get all those stocks for free because the hedge fund liquidation just threw everything into disarray. Stars, which we've talked about recently, was at $13 uh, beneath the zero mm-hmm. uh, net of the direct TV exposure. Uh, and you got a wild blue for free, which I thought was worth free, but ended up being sold for <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, so all this stuff uh, and it it was really a remarkable opportunity, but just you got to be careful about sizing and about knowing who else owns it when they have weak hands. And so I think this relates to a lot of the things we've talked about with merger arbitrage in the past couple of weeks is when markets are down, hedge funds or other funds have to sell invariably mm-hmm. and spreads on merger arbitrage can widen out, not because of any fundamental reason. It's because uh, people are selling for redemptions because they need to reduce exposure all that sort of stuff so you're looking to take advantage of forced selling mm-hmm. that's not economic because the market's just down exactly yeah. one specific case i'd mention is allergan mm-hmm. it seems to be very popular with a lot of large funds um it has a large merger arb spread of about uh, over 41 dollars per share that works out to over uh 17 percent in terms of an annual return if it closes by year end. Uh, And they're really surmountable regulatory issues, and the uh, managements on both sides have had excellent communication with their shareholders. Uh, But it's one that uh, if there are big hedge fund redemptions and liquidations, will trade even wider than that. You could lose a lot of money in the process. So Allergan's getting bought up by Pfizer in Mm -hmm. a share-for-share deal. So the merger arbitrage is short Pfizer by Allergan, Mm -hmm. and you can create that spread for free. 
And what you're saying is right now it looks good, mm-hmm. but if there's continued market volatility and markets go down a lot, it has the potential to become great because hedge funds have to sell for no reason other than they have to raise cash, get liquidity. And if you are willing to have strong hands uh, and, and and weather that, or if you're willing to simply wait, it could be a better opportunity later. Mm-hmm. If this is the kind of thing that you're a day trader and you uh, use stops, yep. uh, I, I, I would say that it would be better to take 90% of your money and put it into a bank account and just give away the other 10% versus just losing it on things that will lose money uh, if there are big hedge fund problems. And we've mentioned Shire a couple times on the podcast in mm-hmm. terms of they were buying out Diax, buying out Baxalta, all these sort of things. But I think uh, there was, I believe people called it the hedge fund apocalypse mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, where Shire had a big deal. A big Our deal apocalypse. <laughs> Our apocalypse. The R apocalypse. That a big deal break. And the reason uh, shares kind of traded from 250 to 150 back to 250 mm-hmm. within three months. And if you were one of those weak hands who had been forced out, then you lost a ton of money. But if you just had staying power, you could have broken even to made money. And if you went into kind of this scary situation, you could have actually made a lot of money mm-hmm. buying from non-economic sellers in a very short period of time. Does that feel about right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I think that's it for today. You have anything else you want to add in? I have nothing to add. All right, great. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to us. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If you've already subscribed, please be sure to rate us. And if you've already rated us, please share us with a friend. Uh, That's it for today, and we will talk to you next week.